We're on a worldwide search to see what inclusive education looks like. So Blackboard Ally is going on tour for 2019, visiting campuses around the globe to learn how they're tackling their toughest accessibility challenges and improving the learning experience for all their students. Welcome back to another episode of the Blackboard Ally Tour podcast series. It's been a while since our last recording. We have been on the road. We made it as far as Singapore and Australia on our inclusive learning mission. And today we are in Chicago land, gearing up for the Educause conference next week in downtown Chicago. But today we are on the campus at the College of DuPage, the second largest community college in the country. We'll be sitting down to talk with the learning technologies team. They are a passionate, fun-loving group who are doing amazing work supporting their diverse learners. This campus is supporting all kinds of students, from high school students who are transitioning into college to students with various kinds of disabilities and learning needs. So really excited to hear about how they are supporting their faculty in designing more accessible courses, as well as how they're taking advantage of the alternative formats to provide those diverse learners with different types of learning opportunities, different types of formats, different types of media that can work with different types of study tools and different types of assistive technology. So very excited to hear what the team has to say about their journey so far with Blackboard Ally. Welcome to another episode of our Ally Tour podcast series. I'm at the College of DuPage, just outside of Chicago with the team here who's going to talk a little bit about how they're supporting their diverse students be more successful on their pathway to higher education, talk a little bit about how they're using Ally to support those students. We're going to start off with a round of introductions. I'm joined by five members of the team. I'll start on my left. Laura Tompkins, I'm an instructional technologist. Becky Benkert, I'm an instructional designer. Mike Maxey, I'm also an instructional designer. Kelly Kearns, Accommodation Specialist. Susan Landers, Manager of the Learning Technologies Department. All right, so thanks everybody for joining us today on the podcast series. Um, wanted to start off just thinking about, you know, what kinds of students are you supporting here at College DuPage? Give me a little bit of kind of the context of the college, the kinds of students that are here, what kinds of needs that they have, um, and what are, the, what are their general goals? Where are they going from, from DuPage? I'm in a Center for Access and Accommodations, and we see a variety of students, really, um, whether they're coming in to talk about a short-term disability they may have that need accommodations on campus. Maybe they had a surgery and they need a, a handicap parking pass. Um, we go over what their needs are, and then also in the classroom as well, and that goes along with long-term as well, uh, disabilities at least. Um, so it's a, we see a variety, all types of different students. It doesn't have to just be physical, it can be invisible disabilities, so cognitive. Um, but yeah, we see all around, I'd say, and we provide what we can to help them be successful. What's generally been the process for supporting students with disabilities here on campus? Do they, as soon as they are accepted into the college or they enroll for courses, they, they disclose, they come to you? What does that process look like? We like to have them enroll in classes first, um, but obviously it can work both ways. Maybe they are um, parents, even that will reach out to us from um, students that are just graduating high school because high school is very different from college so we see both sides of it but we don't like to conduct our intakes until after we have students enrolled in courses so we know that they are kind of they know their plan at least in some way or another they have something set up for them 
Um, <clears throat> but we also hold information nights or sessions throughout the year as well to kind of provide some guidance for those that are thinking about college. But we do intakes and that's when we sit down with them and figure out, okay, so they bring in their documentation, we review it. All of our specialists here at the college have a background in some sort of uh, disabilities or maybe special education, teaching. So we go through that documentation prior and then sit down with the student, maybe the parents um, as well, and we go through what do they need, what do they previously receive, and what were they successful at? Because a lot of times I've seen, I'm very new in the office actually, but I, I've seen that just because a student was provided something in the past doesn't mean that they necessarily want it moving forward. And that's a big part of them leaving high school where they had someone else advocating for them and now they're learning to advocate for themselves. So we kind of help them along that process as, as well to communicate what they need to be successful in the classroom to their instructors. Um, we're not going to um, initially reach out to the instructors and say this is what this student needs. Um, we're going to help guide that student in being successful that way and maybe maybe set up, that's uh, setting up an email to the instructor but working with the student to help them self-advocate because that's what they're going to need along their college path um, whether it be here or when they, when they move out as well. And do you have a sense of kind of how many students are you know have disclosed disabilities here at the college and has that number been increasing over time? Yeah, yeah, it has. I know um, last I heard, because again, I knew I just started this semester in, the, in this department at least, I know it was over 2,000 last I heard. And I know prior to this, I was in the Learning Commons, which is a tutoring center, or a lot of people say, and I was providing accommodations during their sessions when they came in for tutoring or maybe needed math assistance or writing, reading, speech assistance. And even when enrollment would be down, our amount of students with disabilities it, disclosing to us went up dramatically by hundreds every semester. I, would, I think it went up by a, at least a few hundred every single semester. So there's an increasing availability for supports here at the college is what I'm thinking is maybe that's why. Maybe uh, they're feeling more comfortable learning how to voice what they need and, and that's exactly what we want. And I would <clears throat> say too in our um, county, and this is a community college so it's district run because people are driven here based on being within the taxpayer base. Uh, they get a, a cut on their tuition by being an in-district resident. The K-12 schools in DuPage County are very special education strong. Um, we have a lot of really great support for special education in K-12 and um, we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence that people move to the area when they have children with special needs. So I think our population has a higher base of students with um, various disabilities that we're drawing from to begin with too. So. Interesting. And you do have a, uh, even a transitioning program, right, to help with those high school students that are, you know, coming here, taking right. courses, things like that. Do you want to talk a little bit about that program? Yeah, so many of the high schools in the district support their students beyond graduation. Um, in Illinois, we have a law that provides education for them up until the age of 22. So the high schools are already set to provide supports of some kind. For students who elect to take their diploma and come on to college, some of the local schools actually pay for transition coordinators to be here on campus you know all the time it's where they work and their job is to sort of um, provide a I don't want to say a, a whole a 
they sort of hold the hands of the students who are here and, and um, ease them into the, the different needing mm -hmm. to advocate for themselves environment of college. And it, it provides them a little bit of a safety net that maybe regular students without any disabilities or learning needs would not need as much as these students do. So the districts are even supporting having that staff here and working with the retention to keep the students in school and give them just a little bit of extra support and teaching them some of those navigation and advocacy skills that they may not have uh, just yet. I think it's really helpful, or it's been helpful. I mean, the program's only growing. They just receive their own space, so it's like a safe space, more mm -hmm. or less, where they check in. I know they do weekly check-ins with their case managers mm -hmm. as well, and, and then it helps, again, teaching them for, with self-advocacy. I'm coming up with what do you need and okay let's figure this out together right um, and at least yeah. one of the schools Hinsdale is running a couple of I would call sort of like first-year experience courses that the students enroll in that first semester that teach them some of those study skills and, and other advocacy skills while they're taking some of their other credit classes yeah it seems like such an important part of it in that transition is that self-advocacy piece I hear that a lot and being able to figure out what you need as a student what's going to help you be successful right so that you as a college can put the procedures and support in place for, for those students now on the flip side for the instructional designers that are working with faculty is thinking about students with disabilities part of that design process or are you taking kind of more of a universal design perspective how are you thinking about that and working with faculty I would say definitely the universal design perspective and just encouraging faculty to bring in content for a variety of modalities, so visual content, audio, text-based images, just you bring in a variety of different modes so that students with different abilities, and not just even disabilities, but students who have interest in learning in different ways will be better able to understand and perceive the content. And I think that's one of the things that we really emphasize in our accessibility training is really that you're not just doing this for those certain students that might have a disability, that you are actually doing this for the entire college population, and that's really this accessible content impacts all students. It really helps with their uh, success in the class, the way they acquire knowledge of the content that you are delivering in the class, and really trying to emphasize that point home that's this is for the benefit of all the students and not a select few. You mentioned there's an accessibility training that are faculty mandated to do that. Is that something kind of you're starting to put in place? What does that training look like? Yeah, that's something that we're trying more to put in place, offer it to all staff and faculty through in-service presentations, also just general trainings throughout the year. We'll do that as well. When I was down in the learning commons, I know we reached out because we were we were confused on maybe how to use how to successfully upload a PDF to make it accessible, um, because we were promoting to the students that would come in for extra tutoring assistance or whatever it may be. We found out that many, I think almost all of our flyers were not accessible. So students who had a vision impairment, it, they couldn't open the documents, but no one ever really voiced that. And it wasn't until Learning Technologies came up with or brought in Blackboard Ally. And we started playing around with it a little more, and then um, and then it's just figuring out how to use it. And you guys were great. We reached out and said, I don't really know what to do with this. And you guys came down on a, just a separate day and provided that training to the coordinators and people who would be uploading that type of information. So I feel like you guys have been very accessible to all departments, to their needs. And, and I know, Laura, when we took our class together, too, over the summer on like universal design, and she was great teaching our class. <laughs> anything we needed to know about it. So yeah, I think you guys provide a lot. 
all we have to do is ask, or anyone on campus just needs to ask for that assistance. Ally has really been the beginning of our accessibility conversation here on campus. In the past, we've been really reactive when we have a student who comes to the Access and Accommodations Department and says, I can't read the PDFs because they're, you know, they're scanned and my screen reader says they're blank and I'm blind so I can't read this. They would contact us and we would work with the faculty member to remediate things, but we weren't really doing anything here and there. Some faculty members are very strong with accessibility, but overall as a campus, we weren't really strong in that universal design or accessible content and so um, when we had the opportunity to purchase Ally uh, we jumped on it and uh, sort of used that as our springboard for starting the conversations and we developed the accessibility training over the summer presented it where we can it's sort of been um, grassroots in some ways because the library invited us to come and speak with them last January and so that was sort of the beginning of our accessibility presentation uh, learning comments had reached out so people are becoming more aware and talking about it but there's not been a mandate yet next week in our in-service I know I've talked with you and we will be doing some information about access and accommodations what an accommodation is versus accessibility and just beginning those conversations and we're hoping that that will increase interest in the training and we also felt it was important to have discussions about accessibility we didn't want to just roll this tool out and say here you go you know look at all your red markers have at it and we wanted to have some framework for people as they were beginning to discover what it means and that's where it's kind of all started uh, how has the, the response from faculty been as this be, has become more of a focus and more a part of that conversation? I don't have much experience. I'm going back to, again, Lauren. I took this disability and universal design class over the summer with Michael Duggan, and I witnessed this because none of us in here are faculty, but we saw with some of the nursing faculty, it was it was overwhelming at first, I think, because it was like, oh my gosh, my whole curriculum, is I had to change it all. So a little bit of panic. Um, anything, any change causes panic. But it sounds like they sat down with you for a short amount of time, and then they were able to figure it out. Yeah, so they had a really heavy table with, like, all of their activities, and, like, there was just no way to even make it accessible as it was. So I, like, prototyped, you know, a few modules. Um, I was like, you know, asterisks, okay, but if you have 50 asterisks, how is someone going to connect the asterisk to, you know, what it's referring to and, like, all these other things? So they were super excited, and then they were just, like buckling down in their offices together, like going through everything, trying to get to 100%, like they're definitely just like, yeah, so no, into it, it, it <laughs> was adorable. it turned out well, also. it did. It was like, we got <laughs> Their enthusiasm, one. I think, like, infected the whole classes. class, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, so that was a positive outcome, I think, uh, that's, but otherwise, I don't really have much interaction with faculty as much yet in regards to uh, Ally, but it was a good outcome, I'd say. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of the things in our accessibility trainings that we kind of lead off with is that they're not gonna learn any new tools. This isn't really earth shattering, groundbreaking things. These are settings that they're gonna use in programs that are familiar to them that either they've ignored or they don't know the impact it has on accessibility. I know that during the in-service training, I sat down with an instructor to make her syllabus more accessible. And really a lot of it was the headings and styles that weren't there. And really once she got on the roll with that, she was like, that, that was, that's it. That's really one of the main things that was wrong with my documents and basically resolved it. The score went up from there and I think just kind of made her feel a little bit better too of how familiar the tools are and what can be used already with uh, making content more accessible. And what about, are, are there other kind of tools, technologies in the ecosystem to support kind of diverse learners from the tools side? I know Access and Accommodations has site licenses for Read Speaker, not Read Speaker, 
That's on my wish list. Read and write. <laughs> Read and yeah, write by yeah. text help and equation by text help. Yeah, I haven't okay. had an opportunity to learn those yet, but I have the either. October user group meeting, one of the attendees just raved about equatio and how amazing it is for faculty and, and that's what I've heard as well so when I first got brought in on the onboarding of um, when you guys were presenting Blackboard Ally and that was my first thought because that was when I was in the learning commons and I was like our biggest or largest amount of students that come in for assistance is for math a lot of times um, math is the biggest struggle from what I would see at least behind the scenes and that numbers wise of students coming in and so I was a little nervous about um, with Ally, I'm like, oh my goodness, how, that, that was, that's where we need it. And so now that Equatio is being involved, I think that will be fantastic. I know we're, I was doing some research with one of the math faculty members, John, Jim Bradley, and he, and we came in and I don't know if it was uh, some, another specialist in our department and the access and accommodations department that found it and said, Learning Commons needs this. Um, I used to work as a bridge between them and say, whatever you guys get, let us know. We're going to get downstairs to make it accessible for everyone. Um, and Equatio came across and, and it just, it's, I think that's awesome. That's the last piece that it would need is um, to read through those STEM programs to be helpful. And, because that's where students need a lot of help in is math. It's, especially when I do my intakes with new students coming in, it was, have you taken the math placement test yet? No, I'm holding off. I don't want to take math. So if we can provide that little extra assistance, it'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's nice that you mentioned the, the user group call and we talked all about kind of some of the unique challenges with STEM content and complex equations. And I actually spoke with Zach about it yesterday, who's an accounting major. And, you know, simple formula, simple equations, not too bad. But when you get into that advanced kind of multi-layered equations and things like that, that's when that accessibility stuff becomes such a challenge. Um, and it can also be, you know, math can be such an anxiety point for a lot of people too, right? Those even with the more kind of emotional, you know, disabilities or challenges in that area and how they react to it and really interesting to think about. So, I mean, on the campus here, are you kind of offering all kinds of programs? I mean, are there particular, you mentioned a nursing program, are there kind of other unique types of programs uh, here on the campus that students are participating in and what do those kind of look like? Well, since we're a community college and, you know, essentially feeder college for a four-year degree, we do have some associate degree, actually several associate degree programs that will lead directly to employment, but a lot of the students are coming here to get their feet wet in college, to save some money, and, and plan to move on. So we, we have a really wide range of things and a lot of gen ed type, so that they're getting that stuff done before they head off to another institution. But we do have very specific programs like nursing and automotive, a lot of career and technology, got some. CIT and CIS, culinary, pretty much everything. So about 8% of our students come from outside districts, and usually that's because their community colleges don't offer the programs that we have. So they get, I think, in-district tuition. They do. Yeah, Yeah, we have a program in Illinois that was designed to keep community colleges from duplicating programs and then having small enrollments just to make more efficiencies of scale, where if their home district doesn't offer the program, they can go to another district, and then what we do is called a chargeback. And if the district, the home district of the student ends up paying the difference between in-district, non-district tuition, something like that. Uh, but basically, it doesn't it doesn't penalize the student and it doesn't keep a student who really wants a particular program from missing out because their home college doesn't offer it. So uh, we do get some students from outside districts for that. And as you've been kind of rolling out Ally to the campus, have you been kind of targeting particular programs or areas, or has it been more based on kind of faculty? What's that process look like? Um, I think 
We, in the beginning, uh, Blackboard recommended that we do a pilot to kind of roll things out and, and get our feet wet with it. And we had really hoped to get a nice broad spectrum of faculty involved. And, you know, we kind of knew the people that would probably be, be game and willing to jump on board. And we kind of wanted some of that easy, low-hanging fruit for the, the first term. And so we did get a really a pretty good across-the-board representation um, of about, I think, 38 faculty members. So we had theater people, we had chemistry, we had English, we had philosophy. Philosophy, we had nursing, so we really did have a nice wide spectrum, um, and we didn't necessarily target any programs. We I think we kind of targeted individuals more than anything because we, we sort of know in our office who is going to be willing and, and would uh, step up and, and try it out. So, and we just we wanted to get a good sense of how we knew STEM in particular was going to present a challenge. And honestly, the first semester we didn't hear a whole lot, probably because the faculty that we recruited are people who are kind of already doing that. And I don't know that there there wasn't much student outreach that particular term, and that was back when the icon was just the little gray carrot. And I, I think there were probably a lot of students who didn't notice or didn't pay attention. We did ask the faculty to point it out to the students, but we had a really a hard-hitting campaign starting in the summer when we rolled it out to all the courses so that the students would know it was there and they would take advantage of it. And we really tried to frame the conversation around um, universal design and the benefits that all students can get from the tool, not just students with disabilities and you know learning preferences are um, very well covered by the alternative formats and so we wanted all the students to know this is here we've paid for it we want you to use it we're also in a guided pathways program which is a community college initiative to improve student success by making the pathway easier to navigate a lot of community colleges have first-time college students in the family and so their parents can't help them navigate because they've never done it before so there's this whole design process to make the the college pathway easier mm -hmm. is out there and so we kind of tied it to that whole student success piece and that was good and bad because some people think pathways is a dirty word because they think they're already doing student success and they didn't want to be told how to do it differently but we really felt like making this tool an obvious piece of that project just made a lot of sense because it speaks to learning styles and, and every student can be, you know benefit from it not just the students with particular disabilities especially for getting buy-in from the administration right for faculty UDL you know like Ally you know it's this thing you do incrementally and initially it scares them you know you can't just make your course UDL in a day so we've had success reframing it as you know a social justice issue or a mobile first issue I think that's probably one of my favorite aspects about Ally we know as a community college 20% of our students are only accessing their course from a phone so when I meet with students and when I initially meet with them and do their intakes and figure out okay well when the student says that they've previously used books on tape in the past and that's been successful to them maybe they have a reading disability of some sort so at the college we have and we provide a link for students to go to and they so they have access to books on tape and they work with our system technology specialist in our department but I also give them I talk about Blackboard Ally because of that how students they technology they're using their phone all the time so I use that exact example where do you live at oh you, it, no matter what where you live at around here you could live five miles down the road and it still can take a half hour to get here so they'll use in their car I say so if you haven't read an article you're supposed to read for class and you're on the way to class you can then connect your car to Bluetooth or whatever it may be and you can listen to it that way so I encourage them to try it out and let them know if it doesn't work talk to your instructor let them know hey I tried to do this in the car and it wasn't working and so that could be a, or at least I'm trying to get them to advocate to their instructor so if it's not working maybe the instructor wasn't aware of it maybe they thought that it was working and it's actually not so 
I try and encourage it that way at least. Well, <laughs> we can definitely help you develop some messaging kind of templates too for students to That's say a that good like idea. your document isn't accessible, so the MP3 is unusable and kind of right, right. When it happens some and how options for you or okay, good call. Yeah, and we did a really good, really big push at the beginning of the term and talking to new student orientation and just handing out flyers and letting students know that Ally is here and the alternative formats are available for them and it's something they can do and download them. It's not something they have to wait for the instructor to do. And I think a lot of students are really excited about that, especially those reading content on their phones or listening to content on their phones. We, we saw a lot of student excitement and we really hope they'll approach their instructors in order to make their content even more accessible. And that presents a challenge too since we've always tried to have as much content as possible in the content editor so it would look nice around mobile. So now students are like, but I, I can't listen to that. So kind of have to rethink, you know, how we deal with putting content into courses and as we continue to work with faculty on development. Yeah, and we had also hoped that students would sort of advocate for Ally because we only have about a 75% adoption of the LMS for classes across the board. Obviously, our online are all using them, but we have a lot of professors who are still, if they're supplying content to their students, they're emailing or they're handing them pieces of paper. And so we would kind of hope that the students would say, hey, you know, in my English class, we've got this really great tool and I can download an MP3 of this. How come you're not using it? And, you know, whether, whether or not they would, we don't really know, but that was one of the things that we talked about was this is available to you, should be available in all your classes. If you don't see it, talk to your professors. And we were hoping that that would in, in increase adoption of Blackboard overall because that helps the students if they have one place to go, everything's centralized and the expectations are a little more standard across the board. The tools that they have to use, that has to help with their success on some level. So, yeah. so we were also kind of using it in, in an ulterior way to get faculty adoption higher and just giving the students an opportunity to, to get to things the same way in every course. Well, it's definitely a great strategy trying to get the students to be the ones to prompt that culture shift for instructors. I think that can be a huge motivator because faculty want their students to be successful, right? And so getting them to move towards it. And for the content stuff, you know, alternative formats coming soon for that HTML content. So that'll have you covered there so you don't have to go rearranging things right away. Hopefully that will be out soon. But now, so you've got kind of the ground up push from the students. Now you're also talking about putting some policy in place or putting some kind of more top-down measure. Do you want to kind of talk about what's motivating that and how you're thinking about that? I know that thinking about accessibility policy is something that a lot of institutions are thinking about. What does a good accessibility policy look like? Are there thresholds that we need to put in place for faculty to have to meet? So how are you all uh, approaching that? So as I kind of mentioned earlier, the accessibility conversation is really just getting started. We're within this first year here of a, of a big push. And we've had some staff changes, um, even at the administration level. We have a new provost structure. We have a new assistant provost for students. Then we, and we have an um, opening in the dean of students. We have a new manager in the Office of Access and Accommodation. So I think all of those pieces have kind of fed into just people looking at how we were doing things and sort of wanting to make some changes. We are starting an accessibility committee that will include people across campus because we do know that what works well at this campus is getting buy-in from the faculty they don't like those top-down mandates so um, we'll be talking you know we'll be getting a group together and I think from there start talking about some policies like what are we going to do with with ally what, what are our benchmarks how do we want to to move forward with it do we want to just make the goal for everyone to have their syllabus accessible uh, by a per certain percentage by a certain date or do we want to have people try to achieve a particular um, 
you know, average across their courses, and, and we'll have the committee sort of come up with some of those pieces. Obviously, we'll have some input and make some suggestions, but definitely if we just throw it out there, we're probably going to hit some resistance. So um, we want them to help to, to frame the direction that this goes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So related to kind of thinking about that, now you've had a chance to kind of see some of your data. Did that kind of help you in thinking about that? Were you encouraged? Maybe let's start with the alternative format download and kind of what you saw there. Were you encouraged to see a nice jump in the beginning of the term there? And Definitely, especially considering how much time we spent tabling during our busiest time. So, you know, yeah. faculty, you know, are trying to build or adjust courses really quickly and classes was, were about to start or just had started. So it was gratifying to see that yeah. and those efforts paid off. We're not a student facing office. We're faculty facing. Um, we like students. We enjoy our interactions with students, but it's not, we're not something that they're used to seeing. So that, and even ex aside from seeing the name of our department as they walk by here, I don't know that that's something that's within their vocabulary. So, and you know, it's a big school too. So some students probably figured, oh, that's a department I've never seen before. But it was really kind of stepping outside of our, I don't want to say comfort zone, but regular activity. And yes, it was very gratifying to see that it, it was paying off. And especially the third or fourth day, we sort of tagged who would go to the various activities during the that student orientation week. It was very gratifying to have students go, oh, I already know about that. I already have one of those flyers. Go, All right, well, tell your friends, tell your, your professors. So you put together like a flyer that listed the alternative formats and kind mm -hmm. of were passing that out. Yeah, and then on the back we had that super cool table that has like on one column what's kind of your learning need and then tells you which formats work, which... I pointed out to students and they absolutely loved that. I was surprised how low the MP3 downloads were. I was yeah. definitely really amping that up when I was talking to students and, you know, they, their eyes got all bright, but... Yeah. But again, maybe the files they were downloading, you know, you download one that's not accessible and you don't bother trying the MP3 format again yeah. in a course. We started with the communication and adoption toolkit and, and kind of, what, what would we say, we, we mixed our own... We just... Um, yeah. We remixed it. Um, nice. Yeah, to, to sort of for. meet our needs. Yeah, yeah. Is the HTML the second most downloaded alternate version? Yes. I think, yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think that's the one I promote the most because I hate reading something on my phone and having to scroll over to the right and back to the left and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I, I described that to I'm students. Yeah. yeah, like you have that PDF that. and you're like going on every corner of your phone yep. but I think yeah the next step is really I'd like to develop like a tool to help students sub identify which format would work best depending on their need kind of like a program choose your own adventure working off that table to be like because you know a lot of them they don't know what they want because they don't know yeah like the HTML sounds kind of scary uh, maybe to a student who isn't tech savvy could be their favorite one yeah, you know, speaking of like a choose your own adventure game in that vein, I was at, I think it, it's called the Inclusive Learning Center in Toronto, maybe it's based out of Toronto. And they've been working with the cast organization to develop this kind of choose your own adventure to develop your learner preference. And so it is kind of that similar, right? Because I think, and we've kind of talked about it a little bit, there's definitely an education piece, I think, in helping students understand when to use you know, certain formats, why they would use them. And you all have such a focus around kind of creating good study practices. I mean, not your particular group, right? But the others that are on campus, it seems to be a, a big focus helping them become better learners. So, and you mentioned 20% access their content on mobile exclusively. Yes. Wow. 
So definitely the HTML, I mean, hugely important. Yeah, that's for those huge, students. and for faculty too, because I don't think they realize that. You know, you have some people who are like, "I can't believe they're writing a whole paper on their phone," but it's like that literally might be the only way they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because that wasn't how you learn, so that's a challenge too with faculty. Like, I didn't learn this way, and so this is how I do things, and or for anyone really, kind of <laughs> um, updating how we approach things in our processes. Yeah, well, and I think what we found is even with the students that have socioeconomic challenges, um, they all have phones. So that's that's their access to the internet. And also, being a commuter campus, they don't want to grab even a light laptop and haul it around all the time. They don't want to have to babysit it and make sure it doesn't get stolen or broken. Uh, they know there are machines here on campus in the library, uh, you know, that they can get to pretty easily. So they're not, you know, whereas maybe at a residential campus, that's kind of one of the things you purchase is a computer and you've got it and it's always in your room. And, you know, here where the students are driving back and forth, they they just they don't want to have the big machine, so they're they're definitely using their phones a lot more to to access the content than maybe other places. And now, so going back to the faculty, you've mentioned kind of putting some training in place, putting some policy. I mean, is there other promotions that you're doing? Other kind of ways that you're going to try to reach faculty? Are you thinking about helping them with some of the remediation of content, or what else are you thinking about for faculty? I think one thing um, that we're doing, uh, there's a big initiative on campus for the use of OER. And then I think as more and more faculty maybe develop or adapt or adopt OER and move it into the learning management system, then there's going to be more and more content that students can access and download in different formats. If right now the only thing in there is a syllabus, maybe you don't want to listen to that on MP3, but if it's you know, more of the course content, that's maybe even more beneficial for students in that way. Mm. And also another opportunity to get in there and, and, and train because a mm. lot of OER content is going to give you some very red gauges. True. Um, so it's just yeah. a good opportunity for more training, get more faculty who are interested in the open access and the equity to participate. Well, in some ways I think it'll be easier because a lot of that OER content is is remix and if we can remix it then we can make it accessible. Mm-hmm. And you know, whereas if we're dealing with one of the big publishers, that's with the Ally Pilot group, I had told some of them that it said, I don't know what to do with this. So for example, one of the first aid classes had some checklists that the way they were designed visually was okay, but for a screen reader it made no sense whatsoever. And the way they had they had heading two in front of heading one and there just there wasn't good semantic structure and um, what I had done was I I um, made it better and I handed it back to her and said now go to your publisher because this is copyrighted material and I really can't I mean I can change it for a particular student but this isn't something that you can now post so go back to your publisher rep and say this was not accessible what what are you going to do about it so um, we're also kind of using it for that piece too to put some pressure on the publishers because you know they're the ones that are going to have to make the changes on their end but with the OER um, you know we'll be able to have an impact I think a lot faster yeah um, and we do have, um, we're in the OpenStax uh, program uh, through, I think it's Rice University, I'm not positive on that, um, this year, so partnership program. So we are, there's definitely a very big push for OER on campus, and I think this will be a great um, opportunity to kind of, you know, train people as they're developing. We, we've got some grants that faculty can apply for, some release time, so we will have some faculty over the next year or two developing their own, and I think this will be a great time to really say, this is the time to really think about how you're designing this and how you're going to use it with your students and just promote that one more way. Maybe I'll pull Maureen into the conversation. Okay. Slide over okay. so that the mic picks you up. Because you, this is an area that you really work in, right? Yes. Which is remediating content for those students with disclosed disabilities. What's some of the most challenging content that you have to work with? 
Well, our vision-impaired students have probably the biggest of challenges because of the navigation piece. Once they get to the content, they're usually okay. It's the getting to the content that can take an excessive amount of time. I hate open book tests. Trying to read an open book test to someone who's blind and has to go through the book and try and find answers when they are especially something that if they can't search the information easily just navigating takes forever mm. Mm. and you know just trying to remember that as as instructors pick their books and you know what publishers are using some are better than others yeah that's the navigation piece yeah. i mean our, our you know our blind students especially have that because you know they're using jaws or uh, other products that are similar to jaws but that and the need to have multiple formats and i, I say this all the time it's not just that a lot of a lot of students with disabilities need both the being read to and the print sitting in front of them. That piece of it is difficult when the, the content is not available in multiple formats. And so yeah. from your perspective, as faculty start to take on some of this work, as they start to make the content more accessible to start with, how's that going to benefit your office? What's that gonna allow you to do? It definitely would benefit all students, those with and without disabilities, because people do learn differently. It's gonna be, it already is in demand, and. They, the students use Ally without even realizing they're using Ally, and they keep coming back to me saying, well, I want more of this, and they want it all over, not just in, in the course materials. They love it, but they don't even realize they're using it, but yeah. they know they, they just go to that button. Oh, I just go to the button. I hit alternative formats, and I'm there. So they don't, they're not real good at identifying why uh, or what product they're using, per se, and, you know, that, so when they talk about it they don't refer to it as Ella they actually refer to it more as blackboard just because that's what they're in you know but they love it and they want it for all of it so there is a definite need definite demand yeah they love it definitely working so. on making it more available across all of the content so on our way there one to be aware of too you know with the uh, generating the mp3 there's currently a hundred thousand character limit I think we actually talked about on the user group previously so if the faculty's uploading a really long PDF, a really long like book PDF or something, you know, I also think it's kind of a best practice to chunk it out a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. to I do a lot of that. Do you chunk things I, I, out? I have to take books and do it chapter by chapter because of the fact that the navigation piece. Yeah, it becomes so poor, right? Yeah. So it definitely, mm -hmm. if you ever hear a student saying, oh, the audio is failing and you notice that it's a really long file, that's probably why. And so it may be another that advocacy piece for the student to say, hey, you know, if you chunk this out for us, then I can get the audio and it's going to help me. And obviously it makes the files more manageable. So lots of benefits there. It's definitely an opportunity to, to link that with any first year initiative we do, because one thing that students are often not taught is how to learn. <laughs> I think that's something that would be great for a first year experience and in integrating Ally. And yeah, that advocacy piece would be really powerful. Well, and you touched on a point um, about it, just having accessibility at the forefront in general is a good opportunity to have conversations with faculty about some best practices. We, I won't name the department, but we did a presentation to a department this summer where one of the questions was, so you guys can caption audio, what about my 45 minute, you know, 
videos uh, or not caption audio. You can you can caption videos for me. What about my forty five minute videos? And that's a chance for us to say, mm, not fairly confident that most of your students are watching those to the end. So it sort of gives us an opportunity to identify where the teachers are not using the best necessarily practices, and we say, hey, if you were to chunk that out or take the most important pieces and, and narrow it down, you're much more likely to get uh, your students to go all the way to the end of the video. So it's kind of good to have that there to to force some of those conversations. Absolutely. I also just wanted to ask, too, um, how things have been going working with the Blackboard's uh, deployment uh, team. So I know uh, Sam and Tim, right, have been involved with the campus and kind of helping with the rollout. What's that process been like? How have they been kind of helping you? What's been kind of some of the conversation there? So I've had most of the follow-up after our, um, what would you call it, the on-site meeting that we had back last fall. Um, they were fantastic for that. They came and they had lots of great ideas. Um, we did a really good job within our office of getting a lot of good stakeholders on board for those meetings. That was how Kelly was brought in because we knew we needed people from Learning Commons. We had a couple of students there and that just sort of helped to lay the groundwork for people understanding even what Ally was and what it would be able to do. It, because we didn't really have a lot of issues, I didn't have faculty screaming, what are these dials? What are, you know, we don't know what to do with this. Turn it off. Because we didn't experience that either with the pilot or even when we rolled it out. We haven't needed a lot of direct support, but Sam has been really good in um, sending us and going through the data like you did a couple of times. And she's been good. We've been really busy and it's kind of fallen off my radar a couple of times. And she'll just check in and say, how's it going? What do you need? And I asked for some of the data numbers for our in-service for next week. And she said, yep, absolutely. I can get those together so that it's, you know, the most up-to-date data. So... Um, they've been really great. Nice. Yeah. Well, we'll start to kind of wrap it up here. So it's been a really great conversation. I think that the approach and the strategies that you're talking about are really, I think, drive home just how important it is for all students, accessible content, having access to these alternative formats. I think there's so much validation and it's such a good story to push to instructors. So where next? You have a big day Tuesday coming up, what's happening on Tuesday, what's happening kind of moving forward in the journey, as Laura likes to, to hear me talk about the journey. <laughs> You're a Sherpa. The hippie journey. <laughs> well, that's what we say, too, because sometimes when you present and, and you start talking about the, the, the gauges and, and accessibility and the impact, especially for people who really don't know anything about it, the eyes get really big. And so the first thing I say is, we're not expecting you to go home and spend the next four days trying to remediate all of your content and get to 100%. It's a journey, not a destination. And sometimes you can't make it perfect, especially with that STEM content. So next Tuesday is our faculty in-service, and we don't have any class uh, for students, but faculty are here on campus and we'll be doing some activities and some presentations and um, sending the message that accessibility is important to the administration and the college in general because even though they don't like the top-down initiatives, if they don't think that the administration is supporting it, people won't buy in. So we're going to start with that. I mentioned earlier that we are forming an accessibility committee and I think we'll kind of go from there to begin to develop some policies and look at a timeline for bringing all kinds of pieces in to the project. and Especially procurement for web technologies and software and all that good stuff. Yeah, is that another area that you're thinking about too now is kind of making sure that the software that's being implemented on campus is accessible? Absolutely, so anything that goes into Blackboard, we have some control over. Um, I'm testing for accessibility issues and communicating with the vendors that such issues exist because I had experience with a vendor the other day who had accessibility as the second word in their tagline on their website and uh, they only just got a VPAT and it was partially meets, you know, for a CAG 2.0 AA, 
and it wasn't even on the website. The link was broken. I'm like, <laughs> so there's a lot of lip service to accessibility in a tech, but once you get down and test it, you find out differently. So my hope is to create a group, a usability testing group with students using various assistive technologies to test these things as well. All right. Well, that's a wrap from College of DuPage and the team. Thanks so much for all of your great work and for participating on the podcast today. And I'll wish you your best on your journey to more inclusive education. Thank you. Big thanks to the Learning Technologies team, Susan and Laura, and everyone else at the College of DuPage for joining us on the podcast series today. Really interesting to hear about the work they're doing, connecting with students about the learning benefits of the alternative formats, working with instructors to design more accessible course experiences and improve accessibility issues with their content. And, you know, they're just getting started on their journey. It's gonna be really interesting to see the impact that they can make on accessibility and inclusive education on their campus. After today, we'll be have the opportunity to speak with some students and some faculty directly about their experiences using Ally and some of the challenges that they face in terms of accessibility. And after that, we'll be journeying about four hours south towards St. Louis, where we'll be meeting with the team at the Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. It'll be great to hear about their journey with Blackboard Ally and some of the amazing work happening at one of Illinois' premier state universities. So with that, wishing everybody a great rest of your day. Thanks again for joining us on the tour podcast series and we'll see you on the road to Inclusivity. Join the tour along with the rest of the Ally community at tour.ally.ac. You can catch the latest updates on Instagram and Twitter at hashtag AllyTour2019. And listen to stories of inclusion from our community champions on the Ally Tour 2019 podcast series, available on SoundCloud or in your favorite podcast app. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next stop on the road to Inclusivity.